I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's good, Celtics fans? Happy Friday. I'm excited. You know why I'm excited? We play the Bulls later today. So why should I be excited? Because we should not be losing to the Bulls. That's why I'm excited. We need to make another uh, another victory, getting ready for this Miami mini-series that's going to make or break the season. As it's Friday, I'm joined by my boy, my homie, the co-host on a Friday episode, Mr. Will Wheel. What's going on, bro? Hey, what's going on, Adam, man? I'm like you. It's, it's, it's playoff time. I know that, I know technically it hasn't started yet, but... It's in the air, and for the Celtics, it really has kind of started already, man. That's what Brad Stevens said. That's what Brad Stevens said, playoff time's already here. We're already in the playoffs. I'm cool with that. If that's the mentality you need to bring, and Brad Stevens being a playoff coach, if you want to shorten that rotation and start showing us some cool stuff, that's great. But if we're in the playoffs, and I see Grant Williams airball a floater, <laughs> yes. I'm, like it's, it's not going down very well. Like I'm not going to be very pleased at all. If we're in the playoffs and I see Shemi Ojale getting minutes, I want it. I want explanation. Somebody needs to write me a thesis, like a 10,000 page document on why Semi Ojale deserves playoff minutes. Because right now I have no answers. Yeah. I mean, the, I'll start with the Grant Williams air ball because that was a, uh, a moment of levity during, <laughs> during the end of that magic Celtics game. And uh, I loved it because it was coming during a time where the game was already out of hand, which was, Obviously, thank God, one of the reasons that Grant was in the game to begin with. But Tom, uh, not, excuse me, not Tommy, rest in peace, Tommy. But Mike and Scal were talking a little bit about, you know, is Evan Fournier your typical Euro player? And I don't think either of them were really following where either one of them was trying to go with that conversation. So that was funny. And then on top of it, the way that it kind of ended was Grant threw up that air ball and it gave Mike an out of the conversation so that we could actually transition on. But, you know, to your point of, of Grant and Semi, they're back of the bench guys. That's that that's really what they are. They're situational where in the sense of, you know, break in case of emergency or you're out of options. That's what they should be and that's where they should be going forward for this team as we head into the playoffs. I mean, don't you find it funny and kind of like um symbolic that the Mike and Scal chemistry has been bad all year. They're obviously still trying to figure out the way they work together and the Celtics chemistry has been bad all year is very symbolic you can see a lot of disjointed conversations when you're watching league pass and then you see a lot of disjointed basketball do you know what triggered me more the air ball was bad enough like i shook my head i made a note i'm not going on youtube so i'm not going to show anybody but the note just says grant williams bricks air ball wtf question mark question mark the next time he had the ball in his hands he tried to thread thread the needle and threw it into somebody's foot like you've just missed a floater like literally you could have just done a step through taco managed to do a step through and you can't do a step through and now you brick a floater then all of a sudden you try and not make somebody with some ridiculous pass that you're not talented enough to make that's harsh he's more than in, more than talented enough to make but at this moment in time it just feels like he's not uh it was just a frustrating performance and do you know why it frustrates me because we've seen really solid Grant Williams minutes last year and this year it just seems to have took a step backwards and I'm fine with that because development's not linear but at the same time at least show me flashes bro like just just little nuggets of like hope and prosperity and right now I'm just like dude this is so bad 
Yeah, I mean, this is Grant Williams fits into that tweener conundrum that we talked about, you know, a few weeks back. What is he? Where does he fit? And I do think one thing that's been unfortunately consistent is that anytime that he's kind of doing the, the mop up duty, whether we're up big or down big, and and he's playing with the the very back end of the bench, and because he's had moments where he started games, he's played with the main rotation. So I I think in his mind, maybe he takes it upon himself as this is my my unit, my time. And then he tries to overextend himself with some of those plays and passes that, that you're talking about. But at the same time, you still shouldn't airball a floater. That's not necessarily an excuse for, for, for that type of shot. But I do think from a mentality standpoint, you know, Grant Williams, especially at this point in his career, and we do forget sometimes he's still only in his second year. You know, it feels like he's, I was thinking about this earlier today, it feels like Grant Williams has been in the NBA a lot longer, especially with the breaks from COVID and the bubble and everything like that. But it's still the end of his second year in the NBA. And for him, I think right now he's at a place where he needs to be extremely compartmentalized when he's out there and have a very specific task or role that he's playing within a unit. He's not a guy that's going to lead you out there. He's a guy that's going to be in there as a small ball five he has a role to play on defense. It's going to be to hustle. It's going to be to make those little plays. And then on offense, it's going to be to sit in the corner or be a screener. Those are going to be the little tasks that he's asked to do on each side of the ball. I think when you kind of overextend that for him right now, he's just not there. It's just not something he's able to do at the moment. I mean, be a star in your role. Isn't that what Brad yeah, Stevens' exactly. mantra is? Just be a star in your role. And do you know what else I'd add on offense? Just run some handoff actions. It's not like that is perfectly within your wheelhouse. We've seen you excel at running those handoff actions and then go and find your way to the corner or po- make a post up and try and get the ball into fed into you at the post and go to work down low because you're strong. I'm cool with this. The entire point of Grant Williams, what got so many people so excited in such a short space of time was the PJ Tucker kind of analogies. Mm. The, the, the similarities in the fact that they're a bit undersized, they're both stocky, both strong. Apparently, they've both got high basketball IQs. I say apparently because we're not seeing it from Grant this year. But there was a lot to be excited about. And then once that corner three starts falling, now all of a sudden, these PJ Tucker comparisons don't look too far off. And then it just crashes. It's like that roller coaster. We got to the peak and then it's just dropped. And I'm like, look, I'm not hating on Grant. I think that there's still a very solid player somewhere under this uh, gibberish-speaking, Catan-loving area. <laughs> hey, do not do not besmirch Catan. I do love that Grant Williams loves Settlers of Catan. I'm also a big fan of that game. I've never played this game. I was oh, tempted to purchase it, and then I saw it was like £35. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if it's worth that much money. I've been told it's good. But at the same time, look, stop doing that. Start watching film. And see see where it's going wrong for you. And like I said, I think there's still a really solid player there. But at the moment, I feel like if the Celtics needs to package a youngster, they're going to get more value back from Grant than they are Carson. So I'm expecting Grant to be the guy to get sent out somewhere. Yeah, I, th- I think that's actually a pretty likely offseason scenario, especially given how limited the flexibility is with this roster from a cap space perspective. And and once again, we've we've went through all the scenarios this season and the season in the offseason before this. Uh, there's not a lot of trade options either, so there's not going to be a ton of moves that you can make. So Grant may actually be somebody that they try and get to bring in a more veteran presence. But but real quick, just back to your PJ Tucker analogy, one thing to keep in mind, like like we've said, Grant Williams is in his second year. P.J. Tucker took a while to develop. He went overseas and then came back and really didn't find himself as a true, you know, viable NBA role player on competitive teams. 
until the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Like this wasn't something that he came out of college and was a role that he was ready for or jumped into immediately. So I'm with you and I think Grant will take some time. But when it comes to this season, I don't foresee him or Semi Ojale for that matter, really having too much of an impact. They're going to be in that 10th man spot, maybe when we look at what the playoff rotations will ultimately crack down to. And I think it will be situational where, you know, maybe versus Miami, where I thought Grant Williams had some success last year in the playoffs. Maybe we'll see him for small stretches of games just to give another look at Bam. And with Semi, we know Brad loves playing him against Giannis for some minutes just to give, you know, a break to some of the other guys. So I think you'll see them in selective moments, but more often than not, when it comes to true playoff games, they're going to be guys that, that don't see the court very much, if at all. I mean, what you just mentioned about PJ Tucker is um, an excellent kind of highlighting of what this league can do to you, the fact it can chew you up, spit you out, and then you may find your way back. You look at Jared Sullinger, chewed him up, spit him out. He's dominating in Korea, and then like you know, and then he's going to come back eventually, and probably won't make it in the NBA again. Just, but I feel like if you look at Grant, I think with Grant, he needs a place where he can play game in, game out. 10 to 20 minutes a night and he's just not getting that at the moment and I don't think he will get that which is why I'm kind of just a little bit kind of down I don't think that he's going to develop the way the Celtics need him to because he's not going to get the minutes and the G League he's too good for the G League right now in my opinion and he's a tweener not just in size but in skill level too not quite good enough for a high level NBA NBA rotation but far too good to be sent down and playing against G League competition. So I'm intrigued. I want to see how that works. Shemi, whatever may be, maybe I keep writing this guy off and he finds a way to stay alive on this roster. So uh, I've gave up expecting him to be let go. He's probably yeah, going to be... I had a lot of semi stock at one point. I, I think now I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just kind of move on from semi at this point. We've, we've all been to the Ojale factory. It's opened and closed, you know, what, 17 times over the last three, four years as to what he's going to be. And, and I think you're right. He just kind of is what he is at this point. I, I think he'll probably still be in the NBA post this season with the Celtics, probably not with the Celtics. And I think he'll be a back end of the bench guy that, you know, we'll, we'll be playing the Orlando Magic like we did the other night, maybe sometime next year. And we'll be like, oh, that's where Semi is. It's going to have one of those kind of aha moments. Couldn't find the unmute button. I mean, with Semi, like, the dude just picked like late or mid, sorry, mid second round. Mm-hmm. Like, you got what you drafted. Most NBA second round draft picks don't hit. Semi has gave you viable opportunities throughout his entire career with the Celtics. There's been some good stretches where, He's completely overplayed that second round draft pick status. So it's not been a loss. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I understand. Yeah, not, not every second round pick can be the NBA MVP like Nikola Jokic. You know, it's not, not every single one of those hits in that same way. <laughs> yeah, not every second round pick becomes Isaiah Thomas and gets in the MVP exactly. conversation. Like, some of them just play a role, and Semi has played a role. And I just don't. For, so while we're kind of ragging on him and saying, like, hey, he's, he's going to be in the bench. That's fine for a guy that was drafted in the second round. He hasn't developed as much as everybody hoped, but he, if he had that ceiling where everybody thought he was going to hit it, he wouldn't have been picked in the second round. He would have gone in the first, in the mid lottery, or at the back end of that first. So I think that they found fair value in that draft pick. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if you go to basketballreference.com, and I love going down these these wormholes here of, of looking at, at old drafts. If you go look at pick, you know, 35 and beyond for most drafts, there's a lot of blank sections that you're going to find, or you're going to find guys that were in the league three years or less. So, I mean, if the fact that you think, you know, Semi's, I think this is his fourth year with the Celtics, third or fourth year with the Celtics, the fact that he's played some playoff minutes, the fact that he's been, you know, available for us in certain games to be in rotations and has been serviceable, that's a win. Not every not every pick can be a home run. That's just the way it is. That's how the NBA works. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't expect to see a ton of semi here as we go towards the end of the season. And we'll see where the cards lay, you know, come next offseason. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with it. I honestly am. If they want to give him three or four minutes a night, fine. Any more than that, you, I want reasoning. I want explanations. But overall, like, like you say, it can't always be a home run. And at the end of the day, you draft late in the first and in the second to find role players on uh, cost-controlled contracts. They found a role player on a cost-controlled contract. What more can you ask for, really? I think that this has been completely fine. But enough about them. We spoke about these guys. It's done. What I want to touch on is Mr. Jason Tatum absolutely torching in, what was it, the third? It was the end of the It was the third, the third right? quarter. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he just went off, dude. Like, I felt kind of sorry for the magic in a way. because. It was self-inflicted. Mo Bamba was just like, he was the man, you know, he was flexing. He blocked a dunk. Let's flex. And then all of a sudden, Jason Tatum was just like, you can't do that to me and think it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, who told you you could do this? And then he just went on a mission, dude. And what I kind of realized is, we all know that players can flip a switch. Players of a certain caliber can flip a switch and they can decide to dominate for a stretch of time. And I'm like, when Tatum learns to do that without being antagonized first, that's when he's going to be a scary opposition, like scary proposition for defenses. Just knowing that he does, you don't even need to antagonize him. You can be super nice, bring him flowers, offer him dinner and a movie, and he's still going to torture you that same way. That's when you know that he's a certified killer. And I don't think we're too far away from seeing that. Yeah, and and the thing is, we don't see it enough sometimes, or the fact that we have seen it, and then when we see that he's, you know, we're like, okay, now to go into this mode, Celtics are down five, Tatum activate. You know, we're looking for that that flip to switch for him, and so that's why sometimes as fans, I think we can sometimes get get frustrated. But you know, he does have that elite ability to do that, and you know, over this last stretch. You've seen it. You know, we saw it in the Spurs game. We saw it in the Timberwolves game. We saw it, you know, just the other night against the Magic, even, you know, putting uh, at the end of that third quarter, old friend Mo Wagner, Mo Wagner, put him, you know, put him in an isolation where, you know, he just he just completely destroyed him in the poor in the corner of the in the three point corner right before the end of the quarter. You know, so he has it in him. The question is, like you said. What's the motivation that it's going to take to bring that out of him? And I'm hoping that, you know, as we're in this final stretch, as we get into these moments in games where maybe there was no Mo Bamba to wake him up, maybe it's just the situation calls for it. We see Tatum go into that phone booth, put on that cape, come out, and, you know, go hang 10 points in two minutes or, or whatever it might be. Because that's one of the true callings of a superstar is when you start to realize that moment and you know it's your time to step up, and you can jump into that moment, not be overwhelmed, and take over. I like the way you've done the Superman without saying Superman. 
I was <laughs> I was going to make a joke about just hearing him shout it's morphing time as he dunks and just time for super power range run for <laughs> like but I don't care what he has to do you know you can look in the mirror and say um Candyman three times you can morph you can I don't care as long as you flip that switch you can eat you, a spinach turn into Popeye you yeah, know dude, whatever you got to do whatever you got to do sometimes you just need to find out what works for you and unfortunately at the moment he has to be antagonized first and poor Mo Bamba had to learn his lesson. That's fine. What made me laugh was I was listening to um, John Corrales' podcast earlier today. And he was like, it should be written in the um, collective bargaining agreement that if you block a dunk, you get one primal scream of whatever it is you want to say because you've just blocked a dunk. And it was a statue dunk as well. So yeah. you deserve- like Bamba didn't do nothing wrong, but you- that, that's an NBA thing, man, where it's just, it's annoying when they take emotion out of the game. And we're saying this as, you know, we're Celtics fans. Our guy was the one that had his, you know, that had his shot blocked. And then we were, we were on the receiving end of that technical or the benefits of that technical. But it stinks, man. When you're watching a game and you see these guys fired up and, and they give that yell after a big dunk or a block or whatever it might be. And then you just pause the entire game for a technical. Like, that's not what fans want to see. That's not the, you know, what keeps the flow of the game going. Like, that that's how you lose a lot of casual fans when they're like, okay, wait, why are we stopping the game again? You know that that's it's a terrible way to to grow the game. In all honesty, yeah, a dude flicks over while he's waiting for the for the review to happen and stuff, and he's like, oh look, diehards on, and now he doesn't tune back in. He's like, I'll just read <laughs> yeah. about it tomorrow morning. You know what I mean? So I completely get why the ratings kind of spike and dip the way they do. Um, but for me, I'm just like, man, let Barber scream. And he learned his lesson quick. Like, you antagonize, don't poke the bear. That's what mm-hmm. you did. And then Tatum cooked you for it. Now, next time you play Tatum, you will bring him whatever he asks you to. You will, you know, and you will be very, very cordial. And what the problem I have is when you're cordial with him, cordial? Cordial? Yeah, cordial. You got yeah, it, man. Cordial. When yeah. you're cordial with him, he's he doesn't play with that same intensity. And that's what we're saying right now. He needs to find whatever it is that flips that switch and just take it to work with him every day. And once that happens, that's when the Celtics move to a whole new level. Yeah. I mean, the ceiling for this team rises as Jason Tatum's ceiling rises. That's that's just the way it is. And when you look historically throughout the NBA at champions and teams that are in the finals, almost all of them are going to have a first-team all-NBA guy, a guy that's considered top five to seven, eight in the league. That's almost on every team that you're going to find. And that's that's where Jason Tatum has that potential. But it's it's these type of stretches that need to be more frequent. And I think he's getting there, in all fairness. I think he's getting to that point. And with this year, obviously, add in the, the odd schedule, COVID, everything else. It's been difficult to judge on you know where his development is when it comes to that. But this stretch is, if it's any evidence of what we're going to see from him, down the end, the end of the season and into the playoffs, you know, he's on the right uh, trajectory for it, you know? I mean, if I'm looking at the Celtics roster right now and looking at which guy I think can just flip that switch himself and kind of step into that, just put up, right, I, I got this, you know, give me the ball, I'm going to make this play. And it's not because I, I feel like I'm good enough, but it's because I know I can flip that killer switch on and just be like, that's it, I'm, I'm going Rambo mode. I think it's Kemba. Kemba Kemba has proved that he can flip that without needing to be antagonized, without somebody having to make you be like, right, I'm going to show you. The only time you see Tatum do that without the antagonizing is when he's up against Paul George or Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard or somebody he idolized when he was growing up. 
And when it goes really bad is whenever he plays Bradley Beal, I feel like that he gets a little bit too your turn, my turn. That's almost like a big bro, little uh, bro type type thing with with, with their deal as well that I think plays into it. Yeah, that's why everybody wants Brad Beal and the Celtics. I think that could actually be a really interesting. Bad thing. Tell, tell me more about um, why you think that would be a bad thing because that's that's certainly the first time I've heard I've heard that presented. Just in terms of like as a skill level and an improvement level on the team, obviously it's a good thing. Like you can't t- you can't tell me that adding Bradley Beal doesn't raise your ceiling, depending on who has to go out. But you've seen what Tatum and Beal are like going up against each other. And it, like you say, it's big brother, little brother. We're jostling for superiority. We're trying to want it's one upmanship at its finest. Now imagine that every night when it's both of them on the same team and JT makes a dunk. So now Brad Bill wants to one up that. And it, for me, there's a way that that could easily be a ridiculously talented duo that never reaches their potential because they're too busy battling with each other rather than battling whoever's put in front of them. Mm, that's an interesting point. I, that's something I hadn't necessarily thought about. You know, clearly because of their connection, this is something that has been rumored. Not, I don't want to say rumored because there, there's no indication this is going to happen. Because for it to happen, most likely that means you're, you're trading Jalen Brown, and and that's something that I don't necessarily. As great as Bradley Beal is, for me, if we're sending out Jalen Brown for Brad Beal, you got to think about the age, the contract the window that creates the two-way capability of Jalen Brown. And while I think Bradley Beal is the better player right now, I don't necessarily know that it changes your ceiling if you're sending out JB for him in that deal. That, yeah. for me, is is, is more the, the pushback, especially if there's any sweeteners that need to be added on. You know, I think of whatever the Ben Simmons, James Harden potential trade was earlier. For Philly, their reservation was, okay, we, we might do it straight up, but we're not throwing in, Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Tybel, and two picks, or you know, or three fourths of whatever that may be, and I think that's probably what a Simmons, uh, excuse me, a Jalen Brown Bradley deal might Beal deal. It's hard to say Beal deal. Beal deal Beal might deal. come down to yeah. And this is what I say: like it raises the ceiling depending on what you have to give up. And I'm just looking at it from like a, an outside the box type of perspective. Do you know what I mean? Just like we've seen these two basically shoot their teams in their foot while going up against each other and kind of going at your turn, my turn. We've seen it recently. Um, I think it was the first game against the Wizards this year. And it was it was just for stretches. It was the Beal and Tatum shot. And it was quite ugly basketball because it was also on either side and guys were both not really on their game. So it was a lot of bricks. But I'm like, what happens if these two do play together? Do, are we going to see something similar? Like, are there going to be times where they're competing with each other to, to make the best shot or finish with a high stat line? Because that can be really good for a team, but it can also be atrocious. It can really screw up um, any chemistry. Yeah, it could be. But on the flip of that, because of their relationship, it also allows a bit of a different dynamic to be able to approach the way you would your brother or a best friend, somebody like that, in the sense of, hey, man, Get your stuff together. You know, you can have those a little bit more real, honest conversations where you can approach them with that constructive criticism or constructive feedback in a way that depending on what that dynamic is with another player on your team that you're not as close with, that you don't have that off-the-court relationship, that dynamic could be different in a positive sense as well, too. But, I mean, for now, both of these situations are, are theoretical, so we don't actually know what they would be. But, but I could see there being potentials on, on either side of that. 
I mean, we went down a rabbit hole. It's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> we, we explore the rabbit holes. I mean, look, man, I'm completely against moving on from Jalen Brown. Uh, I don't agree with any narrative that says that you need to move on from Jalen. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me, personally. I think yeah. that I understand his defense this year has been worse than it has previous years. It's regressed. At least last year, like you live with Jalen Brown's off-ball deficiencies. The fact that he loses track of his guy, he's done that his entire time, tenure in the NBA. The fact he gets lost on screens sometimes, he's done that most of his tenure in the NBA. But the regression on ball, that on ball defense that was so good last year, that to me is just going to be something that it will recover. And I always look at progression as like a heartbeat monitor, like you make this wild jump and then a couple of things have to suffer while you're figuring out new parts of your game and then it will spike again. And eventually you'll hit that flat line where everything's leveled out and this is who you are. And that's once you're at your peak and you just add little bits here or there to try and raise that bar a little bit more. And I think the onboard defense this year is just part of the course when you've asked him to carry such a big offensive load. And mm-hmm. you know, you ha- it takes a while for everything to just kind of fall into place and knit itself together. So I'm not concerned, and I definitely don't think he should be uh, in trade talks. I think any discussion of that is just ludicrous. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, if it's a Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown straight up talk, you know, I'll, we need to have a conversation about it. But anything beyond that, I'm, I'm not really interested in moving on from what you have with the two J's. And when it comes to the defense, I couldn't agree more with you. You know, all there's a lot more on Jalen Brown's plate this year than there ever has been any time leading up to this. Even last year, you think about, you know, him in the bubble last year or just the, all of last year, really. And how many times was Jalen Brown's only responsibility to really sit in the corner on offense? It was mostly the, to be in the corner and then occasionally cut to the hoop. And very rarely, even on second units, was he asked to be the one leading, you know, leading the scoring charge, being the primary scoring option. This is a completely new role for Jalen Brown. And of course, like you said, I think as you add skills, especially in season, there's going to be other things that you do well that you don't have time to work on. And this is, you know, the number one season for not having time to work on skill sets. Things are going to regress a little bit. And so I'll be interested to see if maybe in the playoffs, if that kicks up a little bit. Obviously, he's dealing with lower body injuries right now, which isn't going to help that cause. But I think like you, it's something that will bounce back. And I'm not worried about long term. All of a sudden, Jalen Brown's not, you know, not going to be a high level two way player. I just don't see that being the case. Yeah, I just don't understand why. Everybody is, is like um, in the media, like some of these takes are so reactionary. Like one minute, these guys are gods, like they're walking gods. And the next moment, you need to move on from them because their defense isn't great. Or, and, you know, we can all fall into this. We all, we all do this. Uh, I, I'm guilty of it too. You know, I, 10 minutes ago, I was just saying how it's time to move on from Grant Williams. So <laughs> I, have to, I have to be willing to admit that I'm part of the problem, right? But at the same time, if you look at things from a greater perspective, and like you say... It's a new role. It's a new development for him, this mid-range development. They've been putting him the ball in his hands more as a playmaker, just like they have Jason. We're seeing this growth, but you can't ask them to carry that much load and still be fully locked in on D in, in a season like this with no practicing where there's new schematics. You're constantly taking pieces out, putting pieces in. Like, look how long it took Christian Thompson to start showing how good he was. It was mm-hmm. two-thirds of the season. It took a while. Uh, and now I think Christian Thompson's one of the best defensive options on the team. 
Honestly, I do. I think his rotations, his ability to switch onto the perimeter and then switch back off and scram guys out of there. I think he's been great the last few weeks. Uh, that hustle and intensity on the boards. But it took a long time. And me included, we all just thought maybe Tristan Thompson was a mistake. Mm-hmm. No, it just took a while. The only mistake that this team made this year was Jeff Teague. I think and it was a, it was a minimum contract, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 the risk that comes with minimum contracts. They're low risk, high reward. The low risk was was shipped out of town and now is sitting on the end of the bench in Milwaukee. You know, yeah. it is what it is. That's that's what happens when you don't have a ton of cap flexibility. And so, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think, you know, when you talk about how quickly, how reactionary people can be, both in the media and fans alike, when it comes to to different players and when we're ready to move on. You know, every, everybody's a fantasy GM these days. You know, we all have our fantasy football, fantasy basketball teams. We've done the daily fantasy. We can manage our teams for a day. They've, you know, they've won us 200 bucks in a pool. Not me. I'm pretty bad at fantasy sports when it comes to it, if I'm being honest. So <laughs> I don't win anything. I just, I just sign up to lose money each and every year. But, you know, we make claims on the waiver wire. We see that we can, you know, be this fictionalized version of a GM. And that's not how it works in reality, but because we can do that on our phone so instantaneously, it kind of gives us a different perspective of, hey, how this job can be done and how quickly we want to see things happen. When in reality, that's just that's just not the way it works. Yeah, it's this macro content world we live in now where it's just feed me, constantly feed me things that I want to see. Let the algorithm make me happy constantly. And then you come back to real world sports where the algorithm can't help you right now. Right now, there's human bodies that are being asked to do these sprints and get back on D and jump 10, 12 feet in the air and do all this crazy stuff. And sometimes their bodies are just like, nah, dude, not today. Like, it's just not happening today, bro. You can, we, we can pretend that we're trying, but it's not happening. And you have to live with that at a certain point. You have to live with it because once you see these guys rested and they're playing with fresh legs, then it's a different world. Look at Kemba and the way Kemba played last night and how rested he was and how that made such a difference to the way he attacked off the dribble, the way he got into the mid range, how his legs were under him on his three point shooting. He didn't look flimsy. He looked strong got to his footing really quickly and he had a great game. And yeah. Same with, um, with Fournier. It's took Fournier time to build that durability back up in his body after COVID. He's playing well too. Yeah. And on that, on that Kemba front, you know, Steven's talked about the other day, right now we're down to six games left in the season. We'll be five after, after the Bulls game tonight. And two of those are, are, are back-to-back situations. And, you know, Brad talked about sticking to that plan of keeping Kemba healthy, keeping him at his best for the playoffs. I'm curious to know, what do you think should be the play? Hypothetically, play along with me here. Last game of the season. Typically, he plays the front end of those back-to-backs in the, since the second night. So, last game of the season is against the Knicks on a back-to-back. If that game plays a role in the seedings, do you think that, that Brad should diverge from that? It sounds like he doesn't plan to. But if that game does play a role in where the Celtics end up in the playoff seedings, do you think that should be a time that maybe we diverge? Because as you're saying, it looks like the results are paying off based on what we saw against Orlando. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I agree with Steven's sentiment from a few weeks ago where he's like, I'm not risking health for seeding. I completely agree with that because what's the point in getting good seeding if half you guys are ready for the stretches? Like, it, it makes no sense to me. So by diverge, if you mean he doesn't play Kemba in the first game of that back-to-back to play him against the Knicks, then yeah, I think that could happen. If that's a tie-breaking game, then you keep Kemba out of the first game, uh, depending on the health of the rest of the roster. You know, you're going to need Smart available, Pritchard needs to be available. 
maybe you have to rely on some trademark waters minutes just to fill any rotation gaps. But in terms of putting Kemba in that back-to-back situation, like that's a risk. It's a calculated risk. But could you imagine the backlash if Kemba got injured in that game? Or, and he had to miss a series or he couldn't play for the playoffs. And then everything you've done all season, the way you've had to monitor and manage and, and struggle with chemistry, that's all gone out the window because you diverged on the very last game of the season. Sometimes it's better to stick the course and kind of reap what you sow. You know, you knew it was going to be hard without your um, multi-time all-star point guard. And there's always the risk that Kemba gets injured in the playoffs, but there's always the risk that he comes in and everything you've done throughout the year has put you in a position that teams are going to be really shocked at how well Kemba can play. So no, I don't think he should diverge in terms of playing both games. So the only area in which I would disagree with that, because I think you're right, I think they've laid out this plan, and for the most part, I think they should stick to it, and this will be completely circumstantial. But if that game were to be the difference between this, potentially the difference between the Celtics being the six or seven seed, I would lean that it makes more sense to play Kemba given what it means if you end up in that play-in tournament versus ending up with the six seed. Now, if you end up with the six seed, you're going to get from that Sunday – you can't play again until at least Saturday or Sunday when the official playoffs start. If they were to, you know, let's say Kemba doesn't play and we lose that game, you know, we're, we're then playing on Tuesday. If we win Tuesday, then we play again Saturday or Sunday. If we, you know, or it could be Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. My point being, you can play another game or two, or you could have five days off if maybe he plays that back-to-back and that helps the Celtics win. So if the ultimate goal is rest, and that Knicks game might decide whether or not you get five consecutive days off, which hasn't happened outside of the All-Star break, I don't believe, this year. You know, I think that's a case where, for health purposes, it actually might make sense to play Kemba. But if it's, you know, if it's just, if you know you're going to be in that four, five, six, regardless, I'd probably stick to the plan. For me, it's just if it makes a difference between the play-in or not playing would be when I would think of maybe, maybe going away from that plan. I mean, I'm going to be quite honest with you. If you can't beat the Timberwolves and Knicks in a back-to-back, you deserve to be in the play-in. I know Ooh. the Knicks have been fantastic this year. I was going to say, man, put some respect on the Knicks I mean, here. That's, the, out, that's no, the four seed. I'm, I'm putting <laughs> respect on them. I think they've been great, and uh, I've had nothing but good things to say about them all year. Uh, the Timberwolves, I think they've made a, a nice little turnaround. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they've got some great young talent. Jaden McDaniels, I'm a big fan of him. Anthony Edwards, I'm a big fan. Uh, but what I'm saying is, you're coming in with... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two all-star wings. You're coming in with Tristan Thompson, who should be able to play some solid defense against the Knicks at least. And, you know, against the Timberwolves, just put Carl Anthony Towns in the pick and roll, bro. That's all you need to do. Just consistently run the pick and roll at this fall and just hit mid-range shots and you'll be fine. So I think that while both of these teams are capable of beating Boston, like, for me, if you can't beat these two teams... Then you and, and you're still telling me, yo, this team could go to the finals. This team could get to the conference finals. It's for it's championship or bust. You're living in La La Land, bro. Because if you can't beat the Timberwolves and Knicks, you got no chance against Philly, Milwaukee. So while I do think I agree with you that if it comes down to missing, the, like playing Kemba to miss those seeding games, um, playing tournament games, then fine. I also think that if it comes down to it and you're in a tiebreaker with the Knicks because you lost to the Timberwolves, then you deserve whatever's coming to you because you should be beating the Timberwolves and the Knicks. If you expect to make it to a conference finals, neither of these teams should really strike the fear of God into you. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but just I've, we've seen this team all season, and we've seen we can we could pull up the schedule and go through multiple games, including against the Bulls a couple weeks ago, as we play the Bulls tonight. You know, where we had Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I know Kemba wasn't there. Um, I can't remember. There was a, there was one or two other guys out, but you still had the Jays, and you still had you know at least three four pieces of your rotation there. And as a game that you know they were on a hot streak, they were on a six game winning streak going into that game and didn't pull it out. So we've seen too many opportunities where. I, I'm with you in that this should still be, regardless of who's out on this particular game, a game that the Celtics can win and probably, to be honest, still should win. But that hasn't been the case too many times this year. But we'll see what happens, man. It's going to be interesting down the stretch. And, you know, I've, I've started to come around this play-in tournament, trying to see who's going to get these, you know, stay out of this play-in tournament. It's starting to get pretty exciting. Whoever come up with this play-in tournament should be given a raise. <laughs> you're, going, you're going the anti, uh, not anti, but the opposite LeBron James pivot here. Yes, sir. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm doing. Now, serious, like, I know I'm making some not outlandish takes, but, you know, I'm speaking a little bit more outside the box than what I usually do. Uh, but I genuinely, like, these are things that I've been ga- giving thought to over the last few days. And I do, ex- I expect the team to be a- coming in, treating them like a playoff game, treating them like your life depends on it. I expect you to beat the Timberwolves and Knicks. That's, that's what you have to do because there's going to be much more tough tests coming in the next couple of weeks. Against the Bulls, uh, of course, Zach Levine's back. Of course, their best player's back. You know what I mean? I've watched a few Bulls games recently. Um, not it, not a load. I can't like say that I know everything that they've run or anything like that, but I feel confident in, you know, Lauren Markinen's not the player he has been. Uh, he's been bad for nearly two years now. Kobe White, I'm a fan, but I think he can... Get a bit. He's quite streaky. Daniel Tice has done great for them. Let's not lie there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vucevic is kind of slowly figuring that out. I, I think he was injured the other day. But what you can expect from the Chicago is a lot of perimeter pressure. They put, they pressure the ball from the perimeter. They make sure that you know that they're guarding that three point line. Uh, and then you can expect some rim protection. So it's pretty much just a standard NBA defense. But what what you do find is they're very big on trying to force mistakes before penetration. That's what I've taken from their defensive scheme. They like to really try and force those mistakes early and then get out and run. Uh, but I'm not scared of them. Uh, I don't think they're, you know, I think Vucevic is the guy that's really going to mess you up. Uh, Levine is always an issue, but just coming back off an injury, there should be some rust there. He should be on a bit of a minutes restriction, I'd assume. Uh, you're not going to, you know, so how much of an effect and an impact is he really going to have on this game? First game back yeah. after being out. Uh, it's a game I'm expecting to win. Again, no Jalen Brown. That's fine. You don't need Jalen. We've missed guys all year. Uh, you should still have enough to get past Chicago, but they're not a joke of a team. They do like, they play some solid defense at times. Yeah. I mean, the only wild card factor, I think it actually will be, uh, Levine's second game back. I believe he's going to play, uh, we're recording this right before the Thursday night games tip off. I believe he's supposed to play on Thursday. Yeah. He'll play on Thursday against the Hornets, but that's still, you know, back to back coming off of COVID, you know, you, I, from what we've seen with Evan Fournier, with Payton, with others in the league, you know, you would expect he's probably not a hundred percent for that. The only, you know, thing that I would say to to the Bulls in this game is that they're, if, especially if they win on Thursday, they're playing for their lives. You know, they they win an all-in trade, going for Nikola Vucevic, and it hasn't worked out. You know, in fact, that trade is looking pretty fantastic for the Orlando Magic right now, with where they're already attempting to tank their own pick. They could get a top four pick on their own. They might get another five, six, seventh pick. They could have two picks in the top seven from that Vucevic trade because they're, you know, right now as we're recording, they're three and a half games out of the play-in. And if they lose to the Hornets, they're pretty much done tonight by the time that, that this goes up. The Bulls season 
could be pretty much over. If they can pull that game out, they really have to try and win out. So the desperation that the Bulls will play with would be the one thing that would scare me, especially with that Miami series looming starting on Sunday. We've seen the Celtics look ahead before. We've seen them, you know, underestimate their opponents that have a lesser record. You know, I hope given the way that we're talking about Brad Stevens is setting the tone, playoffs are here, playoffs have started, that that won't be the case, nor should it be, shouldn't be the case. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens because if, if the Bulls are playing with that desperation, that could be a little bit of an X factor, but I would still expect the Celtics to be able to pull this out. Players have started already, didn't you know? That's, that's the word on the street. Yeah, dude, this is why everything's going to be playing with this desperation now. Nobody wants to play in tournaments, some, you know. And Chicago, for me, is a, a quintessential example of you can plug and play pieces, but you cannot plug and play chemistry. That stuff has to develop over time. So you can go and add an, uh, an all-star center, uh, a phenomenal scoring big man, but you need to give that time to gel. You need to figure out what works. And sometimes, you know, these trades at the trade deadline can put you over the top. Or they can set you back six months. And I just think that this Vucevic deal will make the Chicago good. I think they'll be a very uh, strong team next year. But I think that it's one, like I say, you can't plug and play chemistry. And this is kind of what I've taken away from Chicago. I've been very intrigued with them. I try and catch them at least once, uh, once a week on League Pass. Uh, I'm very intrigued with the pieces they've got. But I just don't think this is going to be their year. They can play as hard as they want, but if the chemistry is not there, it's not there. We've seen Boston try that, and it just hasn't worked for stretches. Yeah, Bulls are a year away. I, I think they're a team next year. I mean, I even think the Magic. When when you looked at the injury list the Magic had the other night, they've got some players. They just they just weren't available for this game, and you know, they're, like I said, they're trying to tank. I, I think the Bulls are a team that that could be there next year. Just this is not going to be the year. It didn't work out the way they planned, and obviously Levine being out for so many games with COVID as they were trying to get that chemistry together. Never a great time to lose your All Star shooting guard as you're trying to make a push for the playoffs. Yeah, once once Levine went down, you knew it was going to be real. It was over. Yeah, then that's you know that's just the season that we're playing in. I saw somebody tweet this the other day. The league this year has been like the COVID lottery. Which teams are going to win and stay healthy and which mm. teams are going to lose and, you know, and the teams that didn't stay healthy are the teams that are fighting for playing spots now. Miami, Boston, Lakers, the, you know, these aren't yeah. joke teams. These are like two, two teams, one in the East, one in the West, are currently fighting to get out of playing position. Those two teams were in the finals last year. One of them won the, the NBA championships. So the COVID lottery is real. And I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, some of these teams are really struggling. And part of that's down to chemistry. Part of it's just down to the fact that you're playing basketball in a pandemic and it is what it is. You know what I mean? Uh, so it is. I mean, I feel we're like we can end here. What's your prediction for tonight? But tonight, I mean, I'm taking the Celtics. I, I think the Celtics beat the Bulls by, I don't, I'm not going to give you an exact score here. Let's go with Celtics win by nine. Celtics by nine is what I got. Okay. I'm going to take the over and say Celtics win with plus nine points. Ooh, okay. Okay, you're, you're feeling that we're riding that Orlando Magic momentum here. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. So uh, if I'm wrong, please don't tweet at me. Please be nice. You know, understand that this is just, we're trying to make everybody happy on a Friday morning. Our new way to donkeys to get some coffee. Our new way to work or chilling in your bed or just like after a night shift, whatever you're doing, we're trying to make you happy. So if I'm wrong, so be it. I was optimistic. Everybody, I want to thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, and with my boy, Mr. Will Weir. You can find me over at Twitter and Instagram at AdamTaylorNBA. You can find Will at... 
at Wilbon, W-I-L-L-B-O-N 13, at Wilbon 13 on Twitter and Instagram. And we'll catch you again on Monday. And if you haven't checked it out already, uh, yesterday when you're listening to this, because that's today, today's Thursday, tomorrow's Friday when you'll be listening to this on Friday. So yesterday, I dropped a, ta- a Taco Fall interview. Go check that out. Make sure you uh, listen to Taco's journey into the NBA and beyond. It's quite fun. It was a good interview. Uh, some great questions were answered. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. And we will catch you again next week, hopefully, with some good Celtics news. Not bad Celtics news. We don't want that. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do